Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for being in worship today. It's a joy to celebrate with you as we continue through Holy Season. Even in these crazy times, we're trying to figure out how to do the ministry that Christ calls us to. And I want you to know, I know some of you are worried, but I want you to know that we are following the CDC's guidelines, even as we lead worship here today, um, practicing social distancing, limiting the exposure to vulnerable populations. We want to do everything we can to keep people healthy. And like, like everyone, we're trying to adapt and use all these technological tools to help people worship together. Um, we're going to continue to do that. We encourage you. It's been so much fun to see people posting on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter uh, how they're worshiping at home. So continue to do that. It's a joy to know that we are united in Jesus Christ together. This morning, we continue our sermon series Searching for Resurrection. Last Sunday, we looked at the figure of Joe of Arimathea. Today, we're going to look at the figure of Peter, maybe one of the most important people in the history of the Christian church. So let us look now at our scripture passage, John 18, verses 15 through 27. Listen for the word of the Lord. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter was also standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. That as we have gathered around our televisions, our computers, our phones, Lord, that you by your spirit might speak a word that only you can speak, 
that we might be willing to tell the truth about ourselves, about who we are, and that that might open us up into a more flourishing and fruitful relationship with you. We need your light to shine in these dark times. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've heard it said about Christian leaders, don't trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. One of the great myths of the Christian life is that in order to be a leader, you need to be perfect. And that is just not true. That's the case for leaders of families, of businesses, leaders in the communities, and leaders of the church. All of us are leaders in some sense. From the earliest days of the church, Christians have told the truth about our God and about ourselves. While Jesus may be perfect, we are not. <laughs> One of the great leaders of my life was my middle school basketball coach. He taught me a lot about life and what good leaders are like. He happened to be my best friend's dad, so I was around him a lot. And my best friend and I were huge basketball fans. And his favorite team was the Boston Celtics, and his favorite player was Larry Bird. And during his last season in the NBA, Larry Bird and the Celtics were coming to Seattle to play the Supersonics, RIP. And my friend's dad drove us over to Seattle, and it was amazing. I think Larry had like 25 points, even with his bad back. And after the game, we were desperately seeking to get players' autographs. And so we waited down by the court. But eventually, the staff and the security began to shut down the stadium, and they began to usher us out. And so we started walking out, and as we walked down a hallway, my best friend's dad pulls a security guard aside and says, hey, we left one of our jackets behind. Could, could we get back in? And my buddy and I were like, you never leave your jacket behind in Seattle. We didn't leave our jackets behind because we clearly had them on. And then we, it hit us. Oh, he's telling a little lie to help us sneak back into the stadium. As my buddy's dad drove us back to Spokane that night, so he drove through the mountains. I remember it as clear as day. Suddenly, my buddy's dad turns around and says, hey guys, I need to ask for forgiveness and apologize for lying. That was not right for me to do, even to try to get Larry Bird's autograph. Would you please forgive me? That blew me away. He did the wrong thing, yes, he told a lie, but he didn't compound his mistake. He asked for forgiveness, and he told the truth. There's a good lesson there for leaders. Good leaders aren't perfect, but they demonstrate their good leadership by acknowledging the very fact that they're not perfect. Now, Peter's relationship with Jesus in the Gospels focus on three critical conversations that he has. These conversations change the nature of Peter and they change the future of the church. The first con conversation occurs in Matthew 16. Jesus is with his disciples and a question comes up about who he is, what's his identity. 
And he asks his disciples, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly steps up and responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus, he responds, he says, you know what, Peter? You're not so smart that you figured it out. No, God has revealed this to you. It's a miracle. It's a gift of grace that you recognize my idea, identity. And then Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you, you, Peter, are on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. You're going to be on the foundation. You're the foundational rock on which the church will be built. Peter, you've been promoted to the, be the rock of the church. You have to be careful with promotions. <laughs> Do you remember when you got your first promotion? I worked at Eagle Hardware and Garden during high school. Eventually, it was bought out by Lowe's. And when I initially started, I started on the lowest bought rung of the totem pole you could find. I was a cart boy. I got the worst jobs and everyone was my boss. The worst jobs were left for me. I had to clean up messes. When there was a mess in the bathroom, I had to clean that up. I had to go out and gather all the carts and try, try not to get hit by a car. I worked hard and did try to do a good job. And then one day the general manager comes up to me, says, Jeff, I'm going to promote you to the garden department. And I mean, I thought I had arrived. I was making $8.35 an hour. I could see my, my corporate path. At this rate, I would be general manager, maybe before graduation. But then guess what I discovered? Working in the garden department involved shoveling manure. It had involved people yelling at you because their plant died. It was not all that I thought it was cracked up to be. When I got, initially got my promotion, I was flying high, but then reality set in. And Peter is going to experience reality setting in. Yeah, he's been promoted, but reality's going to set in. You know, it's not always a compliment when someone calls you a rock. <laughs> On the final night of his life, in the text that I read earlier, Peter abandons Jesus. He denies that he even knows Jesus Christ. And it's a stupid lie, too. They know he's a follower of Jesus. They saw him earlier that night. He's got an accent. He's from Galilee, same place Jesus is from. They talk the same. They've seen him around. He's recognizable. And yet still, Peter crumbles under the pressure. He denies knowing Christ. He reveals the true state of his relationship with Jesus. He's acted like he loves Jesus, but in the end, he doesn't love him. It's a fraud. He'll be revealed as a fake. He loves Jesus for what Jesus can do for him, but that's not love. To illustrate, let me tell you about one of my favorite movies from 1987. 
can't buy me love. Patrick Dempsey, who would go on to be known as McDreamy, plays a high school nerd who so badly wants to be accepted by the cool kids and the in crowd. And so one day, Cynthia, who's a cool girl, she's in school and she stains her mom's suede jacket that she wasn't supposed to be wearing and the repairs are gonna cost $1,000. This sum of money is unfathomable to her. She's terrified about getting in trouble by her mom. And so she's talking to Ronald, and Ronald says, you know, I will give you the money so you can do the repairs if you will go out with me and be my girlfriend and help me get into the cool crowd. And so she agrees. She pretends to be his girlfriend, and Ronald becomes cool. Changes his attire. He's got a cool hairstyle. He's cool. And he's completely abandons his former friends. He disassociates with them. He'll only hang out with the cool kids. He's getting pretty confident in his coolness, but one day, Cynthia becomes super angry at Ronald, and she tells everyone the truth, that she only dated him because he paid her. Not cool. <laughs> now Ronald loses his cool friends, and now his nerdy friends really don't like him. He's become totally alone with no friends. What can he do? You can't buy love. You can't buy love. It's not what love is. Until Ronald is left by himself one day at school. And he sees a jock bullying one of his old nerdy friends. And Ronald runs up and defends his old friend. He shows great courage. And Cynthia likes courageous men. And so she begins to get attracted to him, and then she falls in love with him, and he falls in love with her for all the right reasons. The transformation happens as Ronald learns that you can't buy love. Love occurs not for what people can do for you or give you, but it's because you care about them. I've heard it said, I have champagne for my real friends and real pain for my sham friends. Peter was a sham friend to Jesus. But Jesus stayed, stayed true to Peter. Peter's friendship was based on what Jesus could do for him. Jesus' friendship to Peter was based on grace. One of my all-time favorite quotes comes from Walker Percy's book, appropriately titled, Love in the Ruins, The Adventures of a Bad Catholic at a Time Near the End of the World. And he says this, we love those who know the worst about us and don't turn their faces away. We love those who know the worst about us and don't turn their faces away. Jesus, as he was paraded across the courtroom, does not turn his face away from Peter. He sees him and looks at him with the eyes of love. That kind of love will take your breath away. And it does take... Peter's breath away. Peter's searching for resurrection, the resurrection of a friendship, the resurrection of forgiveness, the resurrection to life. The third conversation comes in John 21. It's early in the morning, and the disciples have been out that night fishing, and the resurrected Jesus is on the beach, and he's, he's making breakfast, and he waves to them, and he invites them to come over. 
And there as he cooks breakfast, he has a conversation with Peter. John, as he tells the story, highlights that they're gathered around a fire. I think he's pointing out the fact that this is the inversion of what happened when he denied knowing Jesus around the fire. Where Peter failed, now Jesus will succeed. And so three times, Jesus asks Peter a question. And each question is like an undoing of Peter's denial. Jesus asks Peter, Simon, son of John, he uses his full name. This is a serious conversation. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the question is, what are these? What's he referring to? Does he mean that, do you love me more than, than these guys? Other guys love me? Or do you love me more than these men or your friends? Or do you love me more than these fish? Or do you love me more than all of this? The Greek is ambiguous. We don't know what these are. But I think that's a good thing. By the end of the, the passage, we will discover that it could be anything. Jesus wants to know if Peter loves him, wants to know about his ultimate commitment. Jesus is recentering Peter on his mission in life. Earlier, when asked, what should I do? What are the most important commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. And Peter, each time, each time Jesus asks, Peter says, yes, you know I do. You know I do. See, the love of Jesus demands a response. Each time, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, I know you do. Yes, you know I do. And then Jesus responds with a command. First, he says, okay then, feed my sheep. After the second answer, he says, tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, he says again. Jesus is saying, take care of my people. The church is built upon you. Be a leader, a leader for love. And then Jesus has some haunting words for Peter that a week earlier he probably wouldn't have been ready to hear. But here they are. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt, go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not want to go. We know from First Clement and other ancient sources that Peter died a martyr's death. Some say by crucifixion. What happened? From denying knowing Jesus at all to then laying your life down for someone you love, Peter experienced the transformative power of grace and love. And when he is transformed, then he is able to lay down his life for his friends. Where once he was cowering in fear, in the dark, denying, even knowing Christ, now he boldly steps forward to pay the ultimate price because Peter has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. So I ask you, have you experienced the transformative power of grace? Not long ago I was reading the blog of a celebrity pastor who had a well-known moral failure a number of years ago. He talked about how devastating and humiliating his experience was. 
Many of his friends and colleagues abandoned him. But there was one pastor who was a mentor to him, who didn't abandon him. In fact, he showed him the power, the power and transformative nature of grace. His name is Paul Zoll. He wrote a powerful book about grace called Grace in Practice. I want to quote from it extensively for you. He writes, Grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. It is being loved when you are the opposite of lovable. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything to do with the lover. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved. That negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is about the lover. And in Jesus Christ, we have been loved. And so in the midst of this crazy time, that we couldn't even fathom. We are still called to be people that radiate that Christ-like love and grace into the world. And I've been so amazed at the creativity, the thoughtfulness of the RPC family over the last couple weeks. How they've come together in new, fresh ways, figuring out how we can serve each other, how we can be a community that gathers around that fire and Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And we can say, yes, you know we do. He says, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, take care of the people. Loved it, the, the Canton community group met via Zoom last week to discuss the community group study guide. A group of two-year-olds from Roswell Presbyterian Preschool gathered together online to play together. The pastors we met via FaceTime on Tuesday morning to make sure that the congregation is getting taken care of. The Friday men's group met online. Everyone was there. Some of them should have shaved. Everyone in the congregation is going to receive a phone call or an email from one of our 93 elders and Stephen ministers who want to take care of us. Roswell Masjid, our Muslim friends, made 35 sack lunches. One of our staff people, Donna Brodsky, went and picked them up, took them to one of the communities where we serve, where there's food insecurity, making sure people are fed. We are trying to serve in the tradition of Peter. We're not perfect. We will limp along. But we gather around that fire and share in the transformative love and grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for that love and grace that you revealed 2,000 years ago, how that transformed Peter's life, and he went on to share it with others. And those went to share it with others, and, and they went to show it with others, and now it has come down to us. And so, Lord, we pray that it might transform our hearts. We might realize and know how much you love us. And then we might let that love radiate into the world. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.